0: Just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion, yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. Welcome back to the Rational Boomer Podcast. We've got a, uh, a lot of things to talk about. There's a lot of things in the news. Uh, everything from politics to more shootings. Yeah, there's more shootings of white cops and people of color. It seems to go on and on and on, and I think it happened a lot more than a lot of us realized, a lot of us white people realized anyway, because it was always covered up with, oh, it's justified, it's this, it's that, it's whatever. Now, I need to preface this by saying that there are instances where a cop shoots a suspect... And it's completely justified. And that suspect could be white, black, Asian, Native, whatever. I mean, that happens. There are bad people out there amongst us all. There are bad white people, black people, Asian people, and uh, Native people, and whatever race. That will happen. And there's not much we can do about it but be sad. But there are those circumstances that happen that are either racist, they're vicious, or they're just stupid. And we had one down in Virginia that I'm not sure what it is yet. It's still early on in the investigation, but there certainly does seem to be lack of communication and some stupidity here. I'm talking about the shooting of Isaiah Brown down in Spotsylvania, Virginia. Now, this is an interesting situation. I think this is a man that had some emotional problems. He had a grandparent that died, and he was upset about that. One day, he's driving along and apparently has problems with his car. So he talks to the police and the police officer says, I'll give you a ride home. Perfectly innocent situation, perfectly nice thing to do for the police officer. So this police officer drives him to his door. He gets out, thanks him, and then they're done. Well, about a half hour later, for whatever reason, Isaiah Brown decides that he's got some problems, domestic problems going on within the house. So he calls the cops back and says, could you come out? and tend to this situation. Again, it's all perfectly typical in a cop's day at this point. So Isaiah Brown is on the phone with the uh, 911 operator. He's holding his cordless phone, not a cell phone, a cordless phone from a landline. And I don't know what the situation is. We need to find that out. There's a lot more to find out. But there's some circumstances with this particular situation that are a little troubling. So, Isaiah is talking to the 911 operator, and uh, apparently there was some confusion. Again, Isaiah apparently is somebody who has some emotional problems. Now, according to the 911 operator, um, we're hearing that first Isaiah did say he had a gun, and then he didn't. he said he didn't have a gun. So there was some confusion there. Now, whether... The 911 operator misheard it, or it was Isaiah saying one thing and then saying another. So anyway, he's calling for some help now with the domestic situation. The very same cop that gave him a ride to that house is coming to respond to this call. So he gets there. And and again, we don't have all the details. There was some video, but it's very dark. You couldn't really see what was going on. Cops did not have the spotlight on him. Uh, So there's a lot yet we need to learn. But Isaiah comes outside. He's got his phone in the air. He's still talking to the 911 operator at the time this cop approaches the scene. And then it kind of goes all to hell. For somehow, some reason, this cop, who just gave him a ride a half hour later, is outside. Granted, it's the dark. He's got a cordless phone in his hand, and he's talking to 911 at the time. Somehow, someway, this cop shoots Isaiah Brown, not once, not twice, ten frickin' times. Why do you have to shoot anybody ten times? Again, it's night, so it's dark and it's hard to see. But that has to be part of the training for, for cops, I would think. So now the question is, is the miscommunication between 911 and the cop Does the cop just freak out and scared like a lot of these guys do and just shoot? So they shoot this guy 10 times and he goes down. Then the cop says he tried to give him uh, CPR to save his life. Well, you just shot him 10 times. You you, You want applause for giving him CPR? I mean, if you shoot somebody 10 times, your intention is to kill them. The fact that Isaiah Brown is not yet dead is freaking amazing. Now, when the police report this, they say, yeah, he got shot a couple times, and the officer did CPR, and he tried to save his life, and he's still alive in the hospital, and he's doing fine, so the cop's a hero. (laughs) Cop's not a hero. He shot him ten fucking times, not two times. And yeah, he did CPR because at that point he realizes, oh, I fucked up bad because he doesn't have a gun. I better try to do everything I can to save his life. And somehow Isaiah Brown is still alive. I mean, to this moment, to the time I'm recording this, he is still alive. Whether he'll continue to be alive, it's hard to tell because what they're saying now from the hospital is that it's touch and go. That's a little different than, yeah, he's doing fine. See, that's the problem here. Cops screw up, and then they lie to the public in hope against hope that they can get away with it. And how many times have they done that before? How many shootings have they done that were absolutely flagrant, racist, stupid, whatever you want to call it? How many times have they done it before because there wasn't a video or a witness or some situation that would expose them that they just slip by with it? a totally unlawful shooting, they slip by with it because they control the information coming out of the department. That's frightening. you got to wonder how many people have died. And then you wonder why the black community is upset after years and decades of this kind of thing and thousands of people getting killed by police officers unwarrantedly. Hell yes, they're going to be mad. It's just now white people are starting to realize it because we watch a video of Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's head. Well, things are going to be opening up much more. There's going to be a microscope on all these shootings now, such as this one. I don't honestly know how this will turn out. Um, did the cop make a mistake? Did he miscommunicate with uh, 911? Yeah, that's all possible. That's all possible. But the bottom line is you've got a human being here with a landline cordless phone in his hand. And that's it. No gun. If you shot him once because you were scared or you something flashed in the light, okay, I get that. But you shot him ten times. There has to be some intention there or there has to be just absolute fear by the cop. And either way you look at it, it's not not acceptable. Either this cop is... is uh, a vicious criminal, or he's woefully untrained, and emotionally, he can't handle the situation. I'll grant you, man, cops are in tough situations when they have to decide very quickly whether to shoot or not. A lot of these are justified. I'll grant you that, too. But these cops should be justified in their own mind by the information they see. But if they're just acting out of hate, or fear, they're not doing their job. They're not properly trained. They're not properly emotionally evaluated. Now, talking to people on TikTok, there's been a few suggestions out there that I think aren't bad as far as how we control police officers. There's been some talk about having cops insured, like, say, uh, uh, a doctor or even a hairdresser. So if there is a problem or some kind of malpractice that the victim has some route to get something out of the deal through a lawsuit. Now, we know what happens with doctors and malpractice. I had no idea it happens with hairdressers. (laughs) I mean, I go into the hairdresser and I say, yeah, cut my hair. And they go, what do you want it to look like? I said, just do the best with what you have to work with here. I'm not expecting a miracle because I know I don't have a lot to deal with. But there are people who are more upset about it, and apparently they can try to hold hairdressers responsible. I don't get it, but well, you know what the hell. So people are proposing that cops have um, insurance policies, so when they get a complaint or something like that, they could be sued. Now, where the the thing that comes in that helps to control this a little bit, like a doctor, uh, like a hospital or a doctor's office that has a doctor. If you get too many complaints and the insurance gets high, you have no choice but let that person go. So maybe that would give uh, them an opportunity to get rid of the bad people for cause, for costing them too much, making it unaffordable to keep them employed. Not a bad idea. I don't know if it could work, but it's worth looking into. Then I heard somebody on TikTok last night. I don't remember the name. I'm going to look for that. But he put out a good idea, too. He's a former cop. Needless to say, we need cops better trained. But he thought that cops should have to be licensed, like doctors, like hairdressers, like any professional, like, like plumbers, for that matter. They have to be licensed. And his reasoning was very, very poignant, I thought. He said, look, if a cop is licensed... If a cop is licensed and he causes some problems or commits an egregious crime, then he's made responsible to go defend himself and protect that license. If he's found guilty of such a situation, then that license is pulled, and he cannot be a cop there or anywhere. Because, you see, what happens a lot in these situations, cop gets in trouble, who knows what's going to happen, so he resigns. He moves to a different state, joins another police force. There's no way to track whether he had a bad experience out there if they don't check with uh, his, his, his uh, superiors at the police department. And even if he does check with the superiors, there's some limitations of what those superiors can actually say without being concerned about getting sued by the cop. Yeah, we should track cops. And I think the gentleman that suggested this was absolutely right. You have a license. If you do something that goes against that license, you have to defend it. If you can't defend it and are found guilty, that license gets taken away from you. And if that license gets taken away from you, you can no longer be a cop anywhere. I think that's a brilliant idea. I think both these ideas are very interesting. And I think we should look at them because clearly there are some things we need to do to fix our policing situation. It's just now being exposed with the George Floyd situation, the Dante Wright, uh, uh, and all the recent situations where cops have literally killed innocent people. Unfortunately, they all seem to be people of color, which brings us to the other side of the coin and makes us think that, hey, shit, this is racist. I have a, another view on what we should do with cops. And I think <laughs> cops are like a catch-all, I think. At least the people I know that have become cops. They don't really have the wherewithal to go off in the world and do something like, like uh, I don't know, be, be a, a manager, be a salesman, be a scientist, be whatever. They see that as an opportunity with a two-year... I don't know, a two-year education or something like that. And anybody can get through the process if they can handle the physicality of it and if they can handle uh, basic training. Well, I think that because the police play such an important role in our lives and the way our system runs, we need to make them more elite. And I don't mean make them, I don't know, all-powerful and all-knowing. That's not what I mean. But what I mean to say is I think we need to make it harder and be more picky about who becomes a cop. I think the training should be way more than two years. I think they should be at least four or five years because, I mean, they're carrying guns and they're meeting people. And if they're not emotionally equipped to handle that situation, we get what we get. We get innocent people shot. We also need people that have a certain amount of bravery. They walk into a situation, and the first thing they think of is to shoot the gun at the guy and ask questions later. That's not the mentality we should have in our police. They should learn first how to de-escalate the problem. Now, I know they say they have training, but clearly that training isn't working. There are good cops out there. Yes, I agree, but we have enough bad cops If these good cops stay silent, then we don't have a good police force. We have people getting away with shit and the good people just keeping their mouths shut. To me, they're just as guilty in this situation. So what I think we need to do is pay police officers more money, but in turn, expect more excellence. They have to be trained. You bring them in, if they don't have four or five years of training, if they don't have emotional evaluations, if they don't have um, the the training in handling a gun and when to shoot and when not to shoot, they should not go on the street or get in a car and travel through our cities to try to protect us because they're woefully inequipped. So you take those three things and that may be, an answer to some of the problems we currently have. But then again, we, you know, we've got people dealing with people, and people are fallible, and mistakes will happen. Like in this case with Isaiah Brown, we don't know what happened here. We don't know if Isaiah miscommunicated with the 911 operator or the 911 operator miscommunicated with the cop or the cop just couldn't comprehend what was being told to him. Nonetheless, Isaiah Brown comes out. He's got a cordless phone in his hand, and he gets shot. My question is, why does he get shot 10 times? I mean, how big was this guy? You need 10 shots to bring him down? No, it sounds like the cop was scared and just started pulling the trigger. He didn't give a shit. He was scared to death for his life. And I grant you, I, I, I don't know what you do in that situation. That's why I would never be a cop. I don't want to have to make that split-second call is whether I need to save my life or kill this guy in front of me and then later have to be concerned about whether I made the right choice or not. And it's not even about the legal aspects of it. It's about my personal, ha- personal, uh, personally having to deal with it. I mean, if I knew I killed somebody and it wasn't justified and it was just my screw-up, how do I live with that? Well, I think there's a certain amount of folks, especially on the police force, that don't have any problem with it. As long as they don't get in trouble, they can let it go and keep going on. To me, that's not somebody who's emotionally prepared to be a police officer because there has to be some compassion for people. They are peace officers, and, and a lot of times they're dealing with people who have trouble. For example, this cop, who was being a good cop, gave Isaiah Brown a ride home because he was having trouble with his car. That's good policing. That's a nice guy. That's a compassionate guy. Yet a half hour later, goes to the same house, same guy, shoots him 10 times. To me, that tells me it's not a racist thing, but I don't know for sure. To me, it just seems like this was a fuck-up from the beginning to the end. This guy panicked and shot the guy 10 times. As much as he was nice for giving Isaiah Brown a ride home, he was very wrong for what he did, regardless of what the communication was. Even if this guy uh, supposedly did have a gun and he didn't, then having to shoot him 10 times makes no sense. And then the police department coming out and lying to the public saying, ah, it's no big deal. He got shot a couple times. They weren't being truthful for us. Well, now the real information is uh, coming out and we are hearing a different story. We'll keep an eye on the story and continue to talk about it as it develops, but it's going to be it's going to be an interesting situation. With all the stuff that's gone on before with George Floyd and Dante Wright and all this stuff, it'll be interesting to see how they handle this situation. There's a lot of questions to be answered, and it's impossible to make a decision on something like this as yet. Anyway, let's talk about some other things. Uh, I did a TikTok about bipartisanism, and I firmly believe there is no such thing as being bipartisan. oh, everybody talks about it because it sounds good. It looks good that, oh, both sides of the aisle are getting along and we're coming to an answer to a problem or a bill or whatever. But that never happens. I mean, it used to back in the day, but it doesn't now. Republicans are now screaming about bipartisanism, mainly because the Democrats have power now. But when the Republicans had the power, they would do whatever they wanted to do. No bipartisan situations at all. They would just shove it down the Democrats' throat. And they'd laugh about it. They made fun of Democrats being, being weak and gullible. And the fact of the matter is, then when that was happening, that's exactly what the Democrats were. Weak and gullible. So now... The Republicans lose power. It goes over to the Democrats. Granted, it's slim power, but it's power nonetheless. And now the Republicans are worrying about them shoving things down their throat. This is something I've always said while Donald Trump was in office. And I can't believe people didn't have the foresight or were so arrogant to think that they would never lose power. When we watch the things that The Republicans did, like when they uh, uh, stopped the Merrick Garland appointment by Obama because it was in the last year of his uh, presidency, and they said, well, Americans should pick that. And they pushed it, and they blocked it, and they did whatever they could. Now, Obama had every legal reason to place Merrick Garland in the Supreme Court. There really was nothing legally stopping them. It's just that the Republicans, as much as they are now so bipartisan, were only being Republican Party only. They blocked it. They did everything they could. And Merrick Garland did not become the Supreme Court justice. Now, they waited till after Donald Trump was in, and they shoved some idiot down our throat. And then they got Kavanaugh, and they shoved that down our throat. And then Donald Trump gets in the last year of his presidency, even later than what Obama was, and they decide to shove uh, Amy Barry Coney down our throat. They did exactly what they said Obama couldn't do. And because they still had power, nothing the Democrats could do. Now, when stuff like this happened, I said to myself, okay. You want to play hardball, and you want to do that. That's fine. I mean, there's nothing they can do at this point, clearly, because Democrats didn't do anything. But don't you have some foresight? Can't you think logically, or are you this arrogant that you think you will always have power? I was always saying, look, you do that, that's fine. It may not be right. It may not be great optics. But you go ahead and do that. But understand that when the Democrats get power, they're going to do the same thing to you. Because let's be honest, before Donald Trump, there wasn't a lot of difference between Republicans and Democrats. They both had their issues. They both had their problems. They weren't always honest with us. And both sides always catered to the rich before they helped us. So now Donald Trump comes in, and now all of a sudden the Republicans go way right. We get some Democrats that go way left, and they're bumping heads and fighting and, and uh, scream at each other. And each one is just trying to take advantage of the other one. So now the Democrats have power, and these Republicans are whining about Democrats shoving things down their throat, being tough guys, being mean. What What did you think was going to happen? You break some rules or make new rules, you don't think that the Democrats are going to do the same goddamn thing when they get in? That's either no foresight and stupid or you're just so arrogant that you think you will never lose power. It's like those it's like, it's like those athletes that make 10 billion dollars a year and then they spend everything. They spend everything. And then when be, they become too old and they don't produce and they get cut all of a sudden they're broke. How are you broke after making 10 billion dollars? because you didn't think ahead. You had no foresight, and you were arrogant. That's exactly what the Republicans are doing. Now, it remains to be seen that if Democrats get power, if they do the same thing, it wouldn't surprise me if they did. But all the while this is going on, this gamesmanship, and it's bullshit, the only people that really pay the price are us. Republicans are trying to obstruct shit so we don't get the things we need to tend to us. And let's be perfectly honest with you. This government is made to attend to people that are us, whether they be poor, whether they be rich. But understand, the people that carry the bulk of the burden are the middle class. Rich people don't pay taxes. Poor people don't make money. So there's no money coming out of them. It's all coming out of us. And it's distributed to some poor and a lot to the rich. And then there's no money left to tend to people like us. Well, we get the pandemic and now we need help. Now the Democrats, I'll grant them. They are trying to give us that help. Only because that's the best position to take against the Republicans who don't want to give the middle class any help. But again, we're talking about foresight. We're talking about arrogance. When they get a chance, the Democrats will do the same thing as the Republicans did to them. Apparently, the Republicans don't understand that, or they're too arrogant. But what both sides need to understand, if they're working against us, the middle class, that's going to come to an end, too. You see, we have these greedy people that want to keep taking and keep taking and keep taking from us. Let's be honest here. The money is coming from us. That's where the bulk of the tax dollar comes from, the middle class. The rich keep taking. The poor get some money. And I'm not not faulting the poor. We need to take care of poor people. But we don't need to take care of the rich people when they're already rich. But these people keep wanting to take money from us. Well, there's always limitations. You can't just keep taking money from us forever because eventually we run out of money and the whole system crashes. I've often, <laughs> I've often made this comparison. If you ever had a dog that you would feed and he'd eat it all up. If you kept feeding that dog, he'd eat it all up. Eventually, he'd keep eating until he got sick or died from eating too much. And that's what we're seeing out of our politicians. They keep taking money. They keep taking money. They're not thinking ahead that maybe sometime we're going to run out of money. Sometime the middle class is going to be destroyed. And we have been on the verge of that after this pandemic and all these other sorts of things. And still the Republicans don't want to help us. But you know what? Eventually, they're going to eat too much. They're going to take too much, and then it's all going to be shot. And not only the middle class will suffer, but now the rich people won't be able to have access to money. They will have run out of money. What they need to understand is we need some fairness here so the money keeps flowing. Once the money stops flowing because it doesn't exist anymore anymore, because either they have all of it or... or um, we just don't have enough to give them to keep them satisfied then the shit falls apart they're not thinking ahead they're the greedy dog eating every bit of food that comes their way on the uh, in the bowl that's what people need to understand there's got to be some moderation everybody's got to benefit i'll tell you this i worked in business for many years and i would have I would broker deals and I would have somebody who has two truckloads of product and I would have somebody who wants two truckloads of product. So my job was to put these people together and to negotiate some kind of deal. Now, inevitably, the guy who wants to buy the product wants to pay nothing because he doesn't think it's worth it. Yeah, he wants to buy it, but he doesn't want to pay anything because he doesn't think he should have to. Now, the seller thinks he's got fucking gold, so he wants a high profits for his thing because he thinks he deserves it well the problem is is nobody makes any money until a deal is struck and if we've got people on one end that think theirs is their stuff is invaluable and people on the other end that thinks it isn't worth anything you're not going to get these people to come together not because they're good businessmen because they're arrogant stupid and greedy so my job was to somehow broker this situation. It wasn't always easy because you're dealing with stupid people many times. So what I would try to get them to the point was, do you want to sell this thing? Really, do you want to sell it? Because if you do, that price isn't going to work. If you just want to sit on it and leave it in your warehouse forever, cool. Do you really want to buy this? Or are you going to be ridiculous and stupid and offer ridiculous money for this stuff. And it took a while. Some people didn't get it, but it took a while. And the point of it is my attitude in that deal was the important part is getting the deal done. The margin of money you make in a deal doesn't matter if the deal doesn't get done. So I would try to broker this and I'd say, look, the only way I'm going to do business here. Now, these people don't know each other. The only way they know them is through me. If I go away, these people will never talk. It's unlikely. I said, here's the deal. We need to do a deal where everybody profits. Everybody benefits. You need to make a margin that's legitimate and reasonable for you. You need to pay a price that's going to allow you to make money when you resell it. And I'm going to need to make a few bucks for being the guy that put this together. We can't be greedy. Not one guy gets everything, even though that's what they'd like. Because even if you win this deal and get all of it and your ego's stroke because you got the big money and you played all these guys, when it's all over, said and done, you got somebody like me who helped put this deal together and somebody like either the seller or the buyer who feels like they got screwed. So while you may have made a great deal on that one time because you got over on them, the fact of the matter is you lost two potential connections, two potential customers. They will never deal with you again because they did a deal that they feel they got screwed. So in the long run, you lose a lot of money as opposed to just making more money that one time. And that's the problem with America we got people on the rich side that want it all. They pay politicians, and they're willing to be their advocate to get them everything. But they're not thinking about the future. When it comes to the point when the middle class has had enough or they've had everything taken away from them, there are no more deals. Everything goes to shit. And that's one of the real problems in this situation. So now we talk about bipartisan bipartisan ship and and nobody really wants to work with each other. I find it funny when the democrats will say, "Well, I'd like this to be bipartisan." They don't care if it's bipartisan. They're just trying to make it look good so they look good. And then when they get one or two republicans across the aisle, they say, "Oh, it's bipartisan." That's not bipartisan. That's when you get a number of people from across the aisle to participate because it's a good idea. What you got with those one or two people who cross the aisle are people with a conscience that understand that they have to do the best for the people and they cross the line. The rest of the people didn't cross over because they are loyal to their party and they don't give a shit if you're getting something out of it, meeting the middle class or getting the help you need. It's all about my team winning. It goes back to what I said about that business scenario. If all you care about is your team winning, everybody's going to lose. Okay, I've talked enough about that. Let's talk about uh, the D.C. statehood thing. Now, everybody's got an agenda in this D.C. statehood thing. And again, it goes back to partisanship. That's what it is. Democrats want to make D.C. a state because it's a Democratic area. They'll get two Democratic senators, and that'll give them more power in the Senate. The Republicans know that it's Democrat, and they don't want it because they're going to lose power. That's a bottom-line problem here, and this is where the disconnect is between the Republicans and Democrat. This would not be a bipartisan vote by any means. No means possible because Nobody's going to give away power that they already have. And nobody's going to give up on trying to get power if that possibility is there. (laughs) I was surprised when I did this on TikTok. (coughs) I was surprised when I did this on TikTok. Because a lot of the Republicans kicked back. And they always said the same thing. You know, they always fought and argued about it. You can't do that because the Constitution says you can't. Well, that's not true. I mean, it's a complicated process to get DC into a statehood, but you've got Republicans who just hear something on Fox and they spew it out as if it's real. They've done no research. They always tell you, do your research, but they never do any goddamn research. They don't read anything. So, as far as the Constitution saying it can't be a state, let me read this to you. This is from the Constitution. And And uh, don't get me wrong, there are other parts of the Constitution that they could use to argue against it, but it's more, um, it's, it's not really as clear as this. But in the Constitution, it says, Statehood for the district may be achieved by an act of Congress under the power granted to Congress by the United States Constitution to admit new states to the Union. That is Article 4, Section 3, Clause 1. Alternative proposals to statehood include the retrocession of the District of Columbia and voting uh, rights reforms. So clearly, in that sentence, Congress can decide about accepting another state. Now, there are, of course, there are a lot of other a- 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 attributes to the situation that it, it's the U.S. Capitol, it's federal ground, it's this, it's that. What people don't understand is when this 10-mile area that is now Washington, D.C., was first brought up and made the capital of the United States, they took they took part of the 10 miles from, uh, I believe, Virginia and part of it from Maryland. So these were part of existing states, put them together and made them Washington, D.C., where our federal government was. Now, people will say there's all kinds of reasons why they can't do it. But the fact of the matter is they can do it. Whether they will do it, that's another story. The fact of the matter is that this has already passed the House. Now it has to go to the Senate. The problem with going to the Senate is that they probably need 60 votes to pass it. Well, of course, uh, the, the, the House is 50, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans, and, of course, the tiebreaker is the vice president. Kamala Harris. So theoretically, in a simple minority, 51 votes, the Democrats could win. But I think with the filibuster and all these sorts of things, um, they would need the supermajority, which is 60 votes. And at this point, they're not going to get that. So the question is why bring it up if you can't get the supermajority? Is this just another setup to support? Getting rid of the filibuster, maybe. I mean, that's the thing you have to understand. When these politicians are doing what they're doing, they may may not be doing exactly what they're showing. They want to make D.C. Uh, a state, so they get more. So that they get more um, power in the Senate by getting two more Democratic senators. But do they believe that they're actually going to get that? I don't know. I don't think they do. At least at this point. But are they using that as leverage to try to get something else? Well, if you don't do this, we're going to try to do this. We're going to go after the filibuster. And let's be honest, the Senate, the House, these are all organizations that are made to negotiate and compromise. It's been harder lately because everybody's on their side and nobody will talk. Maybe this is trying to break the logjam a little bit and trying to get people to talk. Now, the Republicans thought they had all the power for the last 12 years and they could do whatever they want. Now they don't have as much power. So are the Democrats then throwing this out here to try to get them to loosen up? Is that what they're doing? Is that they're just trying to loosen them up? I can't see how they could vote Washington, D.C. becoming a state at this point. But with that looming over the Republicans' head, maybe— it's leverage to try to get something else. We don't know. We're gonna to have to watch and see that. Now if you're frustrated if you're a Democrat and you're frustrated about the situation, even though we have the power in the Senate, even though we have the majority in the House, that we still can't get some things done. I, I understand if you're frustrated by that. We're cut down the middle essentially, and the minority party always has the opportunity to block something. Now, the Democrats are dead set against that right now. They want to be able to do what they want to do. But should the tide turn and Republicans become the majority and and Democrats become the minority, would they still want to get rid of the filibuster? Because now it benefits them. I would hope they would because the filibuster is a bunch of shit. It was all put in way back when and it was to um, initially put in. Uh, to keep slaves from getting rights of all kinds. They didn't want to have a a, a simple majority of 51 votes. They wanted people to have to get the supermajority so that their own people could block the situation. Will the Democrats still like it if the Republicans are in power? I don't know. Were, were, were they against it when the Republicans did have power? I didn't hear anything about it. But again, nobody's looking at the foresight of this all. What happens when things change? Do I still feel the same way? The problem is, is whether you're dealing with Democrats or Republicans, they don't. They aren't very loyal to their ideas if their situations change. And unfortunately, that affects us. All this blockage, all this logjam, all this bullshit means we don't get tended to. And that's where the problem is. So it'll be interesting to see what the statehood does. I I, I don't think they can pass it, but I do think they may be using it as part of the leverage they need to get something else done. I may be wrong about this. But you have to understand everything you see in politics, everything you see from your government isn't exactly what's going on. We know that for a fact. We have seen it. Last thing I want to talk about really quickly is uh, this uh, Lindsey Graham racism thing. Lindsey Graham went out and said, I don't think there's any systematic racism in the United States of America. Really? You got all these cops killing people of color in the street. You've got all these redneck racist insurrectionists charging the Capitol, breaking into the Capitol, hauling a Confederate flag through the capital, You got a president who went on and, on and on and on and on and on and on and on about racial things. He's certainly a racist, but you don't think we have systematic racism. Well, the fact of the matter is, if you don't think there's systematic racism, you might just be a racist. I mean, Lindsey Graham said, America is a work in progress Yeah, that's a nice little line to say. And what he's suggesting is that, yeah, there might be some racism, but we've come a long way. But have we? Have we come a long way? I think four years ago, we thought maybe we had. But if you're part of the black community, you know that's not true. Yes, it was hidden. People were under rocks. It wasn't as in your face as it was during the Donald Trump years, but it was always there. It was always hidden, but it was always there. And if you're a white guy like me, you don't realize it. You just don't hear about it as much, so you think it's gone. But it wasn't gone. Clearly it wasn't gone because it reared its ugly head when Donald Trump was in office, mainly because Donald Trump made it okay for racists to speak out. They wouldn't have done it before because proper society just wouldn't allow it. That didn't make them any less racist. They just weren't going to talk about it. Well, when Donald Trump comes out and is racist himself and says, it's okay, now it pops up. And now it's bubbled to the top. And now it's ugly as shit. So to suggest we don't have systematic racism in this country and that we're making progress, well, I'm here to say if this is progress, where we've come from today to the Civil Rights Amendment 50 years ago to Jim Crow, all the way back to slavery. If we go from slavery to now, we've made some progress, yes, but we're moving at a glacier's pace. It's slow. It's too slow. Racism makes no sense. Racism is wrong in anybody's bringing up. It should be. Any time that you diminish or harm people simply because of the color of their skin, color of their hair, color of their eyes, their religion, whatever it is, it's absolutely stupid. We're talking about aesthetics of a human being. What we need to address is the character of a human being. Martin Luther King said it best, Judge by the character. Until we can get to that point, we've got nothing solved. We've made no progress. So to suggest there's no systematic racism is bullshit, and you might be racist. And to suggest we're moving and making progress, well, that's bullshit. Because clearly we're not. If we had been making progress from the Jim Crow days, we wouldn't have thousands of people attack our U.S. Capitol with a Confederate flag, hating on black people and people of color all over the place. We haven't made a lot of progress, but we need to. We need to take note of this now and realize what's going on and actually take some action. We can't have cops killing people of color in the street. We can't have insurrections trying to overturn our country and an election. We can't have people in power spewing racist shit. That's not what this country is about. And until we stop those things, we are making no progress at all. Now, either you need to understand that or just put blinders on and go along and say, everything's fine. Well, everything's not fucking fine. It isn't now, and it won't be until we do something. Well, we're about that time. I got to get going, but I'll be back probably in a day or two with yet another Rational Boomer podcast. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast.